Greetings, Commanders, and welcome to episode 117 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Second Technician, Fozzer Forrester, and joining me in the Orange Sidewinder for this episode are our Chief Bar Steward here at Lave Station, Mr. Grant Psychocal Wilcott. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Have you recovered from LaveCon? I think it's fair to say yes. Um, I still, you know, there's still that kind of lull of energy that you've lost that you're never getting back. But uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, I'm feeling a million times better than I did in the days beforehand. So, yeah, recovered fully. Brilliant stuff. Excellent. Okay, we've also got our head of health and safety here at Lave Station joining us. That would be uh, Commander Edelweiss, Mr. Ben Moss Woodward. I've got a unicorn on my helmet. Your what? <laughs> I have a unicorn on my helmet. It's You're... pink, it's flight, it's fluffy. Okay, so I'm guessing you haven't recovered from LaveCon. <laughs> the space madness. <laughs> How are you doing? Everything okay? Everything's doing great, Fuzzle. Yourself? Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. Mr. Phoenix Defire, the wonderful Colin... De... Colin... I keep on saying Colin DeFord, but it's uh, <laughs> Colin Ford, our chief archivist. How are you doing, sir? Good evening, everybody. Um, yes, it is just Colin Ford. I am twitching away in Carthage, and I'm fine. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. And, of course, with all the stuff that's going on with the wonderful tin foil hats at the moment within the community, it makes sense to bring a ringer in that knows far more about the situation than we do here at Lave Radio. And that this week would be our special guest commander, Commander Del Monte from Canon. Welcome, sir. Good evening, commanders. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here in the Orange Sidewinder. Ah, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to kick off quickly. We're going to go around and we're going to do a little bit of introductions, find out what people have been into and up to post-LaveCon. And uh, before we do that, uh, what I think I'm going to do is, yes, I'm going to make you all tell me your favourite moment from uh, from LaveCon. And then after you've done that, you can tell me what you've been up to this week, starting with Psycho Cow. Right, well... Um... Obviously, my LaveCon was spent doing all the fun stuff behind the big green curtain and the occasional getting out and involved. So, I mean, my, one of my highlights are, was particularly good when we finished Dockers on the Saturday night and my brother and I rushed out to the bar, grabbed as many people as we could, covered up a table and then played a game of One Night Ultimate Werewolf. And how quickly the abuse starts to fly. It's just so much fun. But it was one of our, you know, that's the part of the, the weekend we love is just grabbing games and playing with people and, you know, getting them hooked on stuff that they wouldn't have ever tried in a, in a way that it just it just keeps it so much fun. I mean, we had Skip Rat, who at that point I think was starting to sober up. I think he'd gone round the clock twice. <laughs> And so he was great fun with that. And Mr. Winnard, who is, yeah, a colossal liar, when he introduced himself as being a character that doesn't exist in the game, we were all quite <laughs> suspicious of him. It turned out he was playing a blinder. He was <laughs> bright. So it was, that was a great highlight. And we're talking about content. Uh, I think, you know, being backstage with Ed Lewis getting changed into his generic TV game show host with boxes. Uh, <laughs> costume was good fun as well. So yeah, there's there's too much to pick Fozza. Okay, well, what have you been up to this week post-LaveCon? Well, it's been um, a long week of recovering. We, um, well, sadly, I got back uh, on, what was it, the Monday, Monday, just about, 
Monday, I think it was nearly Tuesday by the time we got back, that drive home was horrific and um, on the Tuesday Susie wasn't feeling great and on the Wednesday I had to take her into hospital and she eventually came home late Thursday night, she's all good but we uncovered uh, the wet rooms in the hospitals now Normally, hospitals are a nightmare for us and it's buzz, wait for two nurses to come through to help her get up and, you know, just to even get washed or anything. So she needs help. This time round, with the wet rooms in the new build hospital, I just said to her, why don't you try just asking for one nurse and then just get your chair and try and see how it works? Turns out, she didn't even bother with one nurse. She just had the wheelchair next to her bed. Hopped into it, so... Since she came back from that, we've been hunting down wet room builders to try and recreate that here and give her 100% independence. And it's huge, an amazing thing. My health-wise, uh, my sciatica's gone. I tried a TENS machine before the LaveCon weekend, and then I came off a tramadol. Hadn't eaten in days, and I had a rough start to LaveCon, but uh, by Sunday I was feeling amazing, better than I have done in months. So it's been awesome. Been actually so, even though it's been a bit stressful and a bit up and down and a bit chaotic, overall it's been hugely positive and really exciting going forward from this point onwards with this new stuff that we've been armed with. Oh, brilliant, mate! Absolutely fantastic. Glad to hear it. Um, Ben, what was your favorite part of LaveCon and then what have you been up to this week? My favorite part, very much along the same lines as Grant's, was playing Cards Against Humanity with Mike Brooks and various other people till far too late on Saturday morning. Um, yeah, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Yeah, Sunday morning. Um, what have I been up to since then, though? Oh, I've been trying to pirate our own Twitch streams in order to, as you heard, Grant's basically been had a very busy couple of days. So trying to get some content out for you guys, I wound up trying to pirate our own stuff to get it up to YouTube at least. And eventually after basically spending about a day doing that and downloading around about four gigs of nothing, I thought sod this and said something along the lines of, Grant, sorry, but you're going to have to obtain the files off your hard drive instead. Um Apart from that, in-game, I'm basically going slightly blind as I fly off to Jack's, and I am approximately 1,500 light-years away from Lave at the moment. Okay, cool. Uh, Colin, what have you been up to, and what was your favourite thing about LaveCon? Well, the, my favourite thing about LaveCon, well, I was, I was separated from everybody else. I was, I was in the game room for most of the time, looking after a lot of the miniatures games. Hold on a second, that was your favourite part of LaveCon, being separated from everybody else? Well, I was just about to explain that um, my favourite <laughs> part was actually watching some of the, the miniature games come together, because um, it was it was very gratifying to see people who had never, ever tried these things before having a good go at it. Um, and I must admit, uh, the Armada sessions, the Star Wars Armada sessions, they were basically a brain melter. As the, if, you, if you think of the X-Wing miniature game as something like the equivalent of drafts, the Armada miniature game is the equivalent of 4D chess played against Mr. Spock. So, yeah, your brain <laughs> melts at the end of that one. Uh, but the, the, the real good highlight was when we, we managed to integrate 
my Elite Miniatures game with Dave Hughes' RPG. And just to see that go from one to the other smoothly was fantastic. And I do know that the, the three guys, the three, four guys that played that uh, had a really good time. And it, that was such a relief. And it, it um, worked. It all just sort of blended seamlessly into each other. It did. It did. Um, basically, the the four guys managed to escape in uh, uh, a Viper, an Eagle, and a Cobra. And those were the models that were used and had to take out a Sidewinder and a Ferdelance on the way out. And it worked perfectly. In fact, it worked a little too well. I think I made the NCP pilots a little bit too easy for them <laughs> so basically, i bet you they, they wouldn't agree with you oh uh, well no no they 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 thoroughly enjoyed it because they just splashed a a further lands very quickly just in time for the frontier panel so they, they were they were ecstatic and then the, the the game that we ran uh after the frontier panel went down very well so i'm, I'm very pleased with that uh so that that was personally was my highlight apart from standing behind crash as he read more and more Docker's script, and you could see his shoulders go, God, no, what have I got to say next? And both me and Rory were behind him just cracking up. <laughs> right, so what have you been up to this week, mate? Well, mostly I've been flying over to Carthage, where there is a, a couple of CGs happening. And at the moment, I'm doing my best for the Empire, either protecting traders or trading myself. And um, so far, we're doing quite well. Um, at the end of this, I will probably have about an extra 10 million creds in the bank. And that's just from the rewards. So, oh, fantastic. And how long have you yeah. been in the uh, CQ, uh, CG for? Uh, I've only been in it uh, two days. Okay. That's not bad. That's not a bad little return on investment. Nope. Not bad at all, really. So if anybody would want to uh, wing up in Carthage, I, at the moment I am trying to hunt down uh, baddies. <laughs> Quality. Okay, and Commander Del Monte, you were too also at uh, LaveCon. So what was your favourite moment from LaveCon? And then what have you been up to in and out of game this week? Oh. Uh, guys, did at LaveCon. Um, I mean, it was our first visit there, and it truly was awesome. The amount of effort that you lot put into it. Round of applause, I think, from everybody. <laughs> um, my favourite part, uh, we brought our teenage son with us, and we managed to get rid of him for two days, basically, because you all entertained him, <laughs> uh, which saved, saved us the job of having entertaining at all. Uh, Artemis, absolutely fantastic, the Artemis. Um, you know, a lot of effort's obviously gone into setting that up. Um, the miniatures... You know, great setup, great games. Um, I had to share glue with somebody. I had to hand over some. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm starting to remember. Her, um, I'm starting to put a face to uh, to the commander <laughs> name now. This is yeah, when was... um, Colin broke the stand on one of his miniatures. Is that right? Oh, so it was your son that that wanted to play oh, a lot of yeah. Armada. Gotcha. Yes, that was <laughs> us. <laughs> Brilliant. That okay, um, but yeah, you kept him entertained for us. Yeah, Perfect. That, that, you said that was your first. That was your first experience of LaveCon. Yes, yes, it was. I mean, we we didn't know what to expect. We did a, a um, fantastic con last year in Hull, yeah. uh, much smaller event, and we thought, well, th this is all right. And uh, we came over to LaveCon, and it was pretty awesome. 
Yeah, they're uh, they're two quite unique events, aren't they? Fantasticon and Lavecon. They're uh, obviously still built around the idea of Elite Dangerous at the core, but um, they're two completely different animals, really, aren't they? Oh, yeah, very different, very different. There was um, quite a lot of more diversity at the Fantasticon, and, of course, yours was more Elite-centric, uh, which was great, because for us, it's the only game we play anyway, so it was <laughs> right. great to be with other people that played it passionately. Yeah, and how old's your, how old's your son? Let's see, baby, so he'll be 16 this year. 16, okay, so he's uh, well and truly, probably. has he got his own Elite Dangerous setup, or is he still stealing mules? Oh, no. Box upstairs. Uh, we have a gaming rig in the front room that the wife has stolen, uh, so she gets the big TV. Uh, I have a, I'm getting the bird from the wife now. I might make her say something to embarrass herself. Uh, and I have a laptop gaming rig, so we actually all play at the same time. Cool. And you've got a broadband connection that will actually hold on to all of that, lot, will it? Well, we, we have, but as you heard earlier, my mic drops a little bit sometimes, but I'm getting a new connection on Friday. So ah. my big thing this week is we, we're getting fibre from Cabinet to our home through uh, an alternative provider, and BT can uh, go forth and do something else. Right. So have you been struggling over the last two weeks? I know BT have been having some issues with their network. So have you been one of the yeah. unfortunate people that have had issues? Yeah, we've, we've had one or two little issues. <laughs> I have to say, so I have to say, hold on, I'm going to interrupt you here, there, uh, Commander, because um, Commander Del Monte, you are still sort of fading in and fading out and fading in and fading out. So we're only sort of getting every every sort of second sentence that you have. So I'm wondering whether or not uh, BT are sort of trying to put the knife into you, knowing that you're going to be leaving <laughs> on Friday because uh, you keep on dropping out on us. All right, well, I'll try my best. I have uh, I've shut down everything else that I'm using, so hopefully it's okay. Okay, well, just uh, don't be too offended if uh, if we have to say to you, you know, all that sort of 10 minutes that you spent explaining all of this canon stuff to us. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind going back to the beginning and starting that again, just so that we can hear it. Uh, yep, yeah, no, don't be no offended. Problem. I'm good at repeating <laughs> myself. That's not a problem at all. Perfect. So so who's the new provider then, just out of interest? Uh, Virgin. Ah, okay. Uh, I must admit, been... I've never had any problems with them. I was going to well, say, I've been picking up our entire estate over this last few weeks, and it's all brand new cable. And ah, so you, it should be, uh, it should be in theory, yeah, it should be in theory, absolutely perfect for you. Well, the thing about Virgin is, yeah, it, it's it obviously it's the fiber optics, so you you get blisteringly good speeds, really nice stable connections. It's great, you know, for for things, but it's not like ADSL where it can be a little bit broken. It either works or it's mm. off. And <laughs> when it's off, yeah. <laughs> it can be off for a fair bit of time before it gets comes back up. So it does have its downsides. It just does does seem to be when I, when I lived in Barhead, every Saturday it would be off and then it wouldn't come back on until the Sunday when they fixed whatever fibre optic cable the roadworks had cut through that weekend. Um <laughs> but since I've been with the Virgin up here, touch wood, I've had only maybe a couple of hour outages uh, at all. And that's been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's a bit like DAB radios, isn't it? It's not like the old FMs where you'd get a bit of crackling and a bit. Obviously, you can just about make it out. It's it's either there or it's not there. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, cool. It's any better? <laughs> well, we'll have to see. I say, it's, at the moment, it's pretty comical in the fact that you you are unfortunately the, the on the worst connection to this call. So, 
Uh, I think you need to probably sing a little ditty oh. in order to activate your line and then oh, well, say what? what you need to say. <laughs> it's no, a bit Norman I, I, Collier, really, isn't canon it? canon theme tune. <laughs> well, what I'll do is I'll disconnect the call again in a moment and we'll retry. Perfect. Just have okay. more biscuits. More biscuits. More tinfoil and more biscuits. More tinfoil and more biscuits. Okay, well, Actually, why don't you do that? tinfoil could be the problem. Maybe less tinfoil and more biscuits. <laughs> uh, the whole house is wallpapered in tinfoil. It will take me ages to get that down. <laughs> That's your problem right there, then. Oh, dear. Well, I tell you what. Whilst Commander Del Monte starts stripping the wallpaper with tinfoil, uh, what we'll do is we will just go straight into uh, some of the development news whilst you kept the call and, uh, and get back onto it. And... Um, We'll see what that's like. Um, so with the development news, we're going to do something slightly different. We're going to actually start by having a quick update from LaveCon. Now, as this episode goes out, uh, you should also see in your podcast player that the episode from LaveCon is now live. I believe that's right, isn't it, guys? It's all been uploaded and it's now ready to go? It is indeed. Yes. Okay. So you'll have the show that we've uh, just recorded from LaveCon, and chances are if you're pedantic like i am you've probably already listened to it in order um but in case you haven't what we're going to do is we're going to have a quick uh, overview of the uh, lavecon as we saw it so we're going to have quick highlights as uh, in terms of what information we got from the development panel from frontier and uh, pick up on a little bit from that so without any further ado i should just say that if you want to yeah, as you might have heard from ben and from colin you can't really join us in game you can follow us on the twitch channel because colin is streaming but uh, normally we hang out somewhere between the planet lave and lave station at the civilian broadcast but nobody none of us are actually there tonight so if you are hanging out there um say hello to the orange sidewinder for us uh, otherwise, if you can't get in game, we have also got the IRC chat channel, which you can access through laveradio.com forward slash live. And of course, as always, we're live on twitch.tv forward slash laveradio. And we'll be monitoring the, the chat channels on both of those. Uh, so if you've got anything to say to the show, then just write it in there and we'll see whether or not we can't get to it. So um, LaveCon, LaveCon 2016, it was an amazing event. Um, I always worry when we do these things whether or not it's going to be as good um i don't worry about it being better than last year i just worry about it being as good as last year uh and every year we get the feedback that you know we've <laughs> we've managed to pull out all the stops and it's even better than the year before so this year has been no different with the feedback we've had from everybody has been very very positive thank you for that um it's all in all seems to have gone down very very well uh, i personally had an amazing time we should just thank all of our sponsors that made it possible so ed tracker uh edtracker.co.uk their uh, their head tracking technology as always uh, a great thing to sort of showcase and lots of people down in the land room had uh, had head trackers on uh, old one productions the wonderful mr michael brooks was there with his uh, chess boards his uh, prints and his uh, his unique t-shirts uh, the ccg and board game social trader uh, they are at the ccg and board game social.com they were there with some of their board games and card games and uh, new for LaveCon this year, we also had the Elite Gaming uh, Game Cab guys. Uh, and they had a, an amazing setup for Elite Dangerous, a bespoke sort of uh, cockpit with a triple monitor setup with uh, everything else all built around uh, a, whole sort of <laughs> a whole sort of simulator setup. They were at uh, elite-gaming.co.uk. And the HCS voice pack guys, they donated some prizes as well. So 
did you guys buy anything from these guys? I know I uh, I bought some stuff from uh, from the wonderful Mr. Brooks. I didn't get a chance to actually buy anything from the uh, the CCG guys. And if I had the space in my house, I would most definitely have bought one of the gaming cabs that were on display there. I didn't. Ben, see I think the I. You <laughs> didn't see the shops. That's because you were too busy hiding behind the green curtain. We never let you out. We let you out for occasional toilet breaks and to feed you. That was about all you got. But <laughs> Ben, I know you looked at the gamer cab. Would you have? Uh, would you have bought one of those if you had the room? Oh, I would have. I would have bought one of those in a heartbeat if the wife wouldn't divorce me the second I even thought about taking it home. Um, but what I was looking at, and I'm so excited, I, I actually got to see it though. So. I didn't get a play with it, unfortunately, was Ed Tracker's wireless Ed Tracker. I've been yeah. drooling over this since it was first announced at last year's LaveCon, I think, or around about that kind of time period. And I've been I've been so excited. And they actually had one that I could get my hands on. And I'm, as soon as they get the licenses, they're having my money. <laughs> so... I'm not sure without uh, sort of going into their um, their their patented uh, prototypes here, but uh, how did it work? Was it like a, a nine volt battery? What was the what was uh, the setup? Because I never got a chance to see it, and that's one I definitely want to buy. It was a small black box. Okay, but the Ed Tracker currently is a small black box. That's no Precisely. difference. Precisely, <laughs> exactly. It was a small wow. black box, and that's all I saw. Impressive. But, Mark, but you saw it working Mark, in game. I think, I think Mark was playing with it earlier, though. Yes, well, with a bit of luck, you can hear me, so we'll test that. <laughs> First. Yeah. As he uh, but yes. <laughs> uh, no, you started off by saying, with a bit of luck, you should be able to hear. Oh, dear. I, I really don't want to know what's wrong with this connection. Um, I might try something else in a little while, but if you can hear me, we, we did have the Ed Tracker, and it's the same size as the old one. And it is a fantastic bit of kit, really, really stable and worked really, really well. Cool. So how do you manage to cram that much sort of technology in? I mean, what sort of battery is it running off? What sort of sort of rechargeable rate are we, you know, is it? It's got a small rechargeable battery in there that lasts about 12 hours on one charge. Oh, bloody hell, brilliant. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And the little dongle was great. Got about 30 feet range out of it because we tested it across the other side of the room, basically. Wow. And uh, it was really, really responsive. He's waiting for some new dongles, and once he gets those and can get, oh, damn, then he'll be <laughs> selling them. A couple of months' time was the projected time. A couple of months' time, brilliant. And obviously, if people go to um, edtracker.co.uk, I'm assuming that's where they're going to be selling the bulk of them through the uh, the website's uh, shop, is it? Yes, I believe so. I mean, we bought a wired version for now on the promise that it would let me know as soon as the wireless ones were available. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I, I bought one, and then I also won one in the uh, in last year's raffle. So I've got uh, I've got the original one, which uh, you have to calibrate, uh, and I've also got the pro version, which I won in the raffle. So it's currently the pro version that I'm using, but uh, having to. Uh, connected via a wire is a bit of a pain so i'm really 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 looking forward to when we can actually make this thing wireless so you know i don't care how much it costs within reason i don't care how much it costs um i will be i will be giving them my, my money don't let him hear that he might put a price up <laughs> as long as it's less than track ir it shouldn't be a problem then yeah how much is track ir going these days oh quite expensive i think still i think it's mm. still around about 150 for track ir 
Yeah. So anything below that, preferably two two digits as opposed to three, would be uh, would be nice. Uh, and I'm I'm there. I'm there with bells on. Uh, okay. So I should also mention um all the wonderful people that turned up to volunteer now when it comes to the volunteers at LaveCon, it, it's important to remember that the volunteers don't get free tickets they you know they also buy tickets the same as everybody else uh, but they also donate a large portion of their time to ensure that you know, activities are organized they ran on time most of the time uh, badges yeah. are made microphones work guests are looked after stations are manned panels are hosted books are read and so on and so on and so on we couldn't do LaveCon without all the volunteers is that uh, the rock up and we have a something in the region of sort of like 20 to 25 volunteers um every year turn up and devote a, a large portion of their lavecon weekend to making sure that everybody else has a fantastic time doing it so a massive shout out and a thank you to all of our volunteers um and of course finally it wouldn't be lavecon without late dangerous and we wouldn't have late dangerous without frontier so a massive thank you to all the devs who gave up their weekend to come down and mix it in with the community uh, we had Michael Brooks, the executive producer. We had Zach Antonacci, head of community. Ed Lewis, community content manager. Sandro Samarco, lead designer. Dav Stott, lead server developer. Mark Allen, senior programmer. Uh, Chart Kruger, the artist. Dominic Corner, programmer and gameplay team member. Adam Woods, a producer. Anthony Ross, programmer and planet technician. That's a good title. Uh, Steve Kirby, lead designer. And Andrew Barlow, head of online. So a massive thank you to all the guys from Frontier who uh, gave up some of their weekend to come down and uh, obviously be on the panel and face all the questions from everybody, uh, but also just sort of mix it in, have a few beers, and just generally chat with the community. It's always really well received. Father, so, yes. Did you mention Sarah in that? I didn't. No, I didn't. It's a good point. That's because she scares me. I'm afraid <laughs> to mention her name. Sarah's a lovely woman. She, she makes very scary AI. She really does. She makes very scary people come and blow my ship up. So, yes, the wonderful Sarah Jane Avery as well uh, should not go without a mention. Um, she was there. She was answering questions. She was on fine form as always. Um, but, yes, a little bit scary. I'm scared of her. I'm scared of what she does. Um, so, yes, I can't think of anybody else that we might have forgotten, have we? I think that was all. Yeah, no, I think that was it. I mean, I think it's one of those weekends where you see how people love doing their little bit. I mean, Dylan came down with me and uh, ended up covering in the VR room and loving it. But he never got out of there because he was just stuck. And that's the kind of way it happens. The, the, the passion of everybody with the volunteers makes, makes it worth every minute you give up. And ah, it's just something special about the event. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And, you know, the, the, I saw somebody who who was passing comment about how their arrival was so special. They were immediately made to feel, feel welcome. They were shown exactly where everything is. And that was, of course, um, it was live on the ticketing desk. So, the, yeah. you know, we, we've just got all these people that are just making LaveCon superb and they all deserve huge amounts of recognition and huge thanks for all the work. And I suppose it kind of includes us as well for all the effort we put in. So I think it's just everyone who was volunteering and doing their little bit to make it special, Brilliant, you guys rock. 
<laughs> yeah, and obviously, uh, I mean, I have to say, you know, Bill as well as Liv and also Dave and Fletch, all the guys on the front desk, the guys that make the badges, the guys that sort of welcome everybody to LaveCon. Yeah, we hear this time and time again what a lovely welcome it is for for people, especially those guys that have you know, not been to LaveCon before. It's it's a really professional outfit. It's a really professional sort of uh, a greeting and, uh, and registration that they get, which sort of just sets them up for the rest of the weekend. So massive thank you to those guys on the front desk. <laughs> And of course, let's be honest, because we, we we did forget about uh, we, we did forget about the man behind the curtain, other than your good self. Um, that's your wonderful brother, Simouf, who, uh, who deserves a special mention, I think, not only for looking after all of us in terms of our audio, visual, and not killing us when we decide to say actually we need seven microphones as opposed to three for a particular panel, uh, but also looking after you for the weekend and making sure you're fed and watered and everything else because you completely forget because you get so embroiled. In, uh, in the whole weekend. <laughs> I tell you what, I mean, it's, it's good that curtain's quite thick because it stopped an awful lot of muffled swear words coming out, especially <laughs> when we arrived and he goes, right, where's this? And I went, ah, that's in my kitchen. <laughs> so we were lucky to get the stage set up we had because it was beautifully planned it was wonderfully planned and uh, one of my biggest regrets of course was forgetting the T-loop system as well but uh, next time we'll make sure we get things in place that stop that from happening we do have things in place but they only work when you're actually well enough to yeah them. exactly I mean yeah, I heard no criticism about the uh, the stage I think you guys are just a bit too hard on yourselves um, okay, let's let's crash on into what actually happened at LaveCon. Yeah, this is the dev news, so let's talk a little bit about what we found out from the um, from the uh, developer guys. Um, oh, hold on. <laughs> Sorry, um, Commander Del Monte, did you have something to add? I don't know if you can hear me or not. I'm, um, I think I might have to actually swap over from my laptop to main machine see if that solves the problem. Yeah, we can't really make that out. You know, uh, you're there, but you're also crackly. So, yeah, why don't you jump machines and we'll crash on through this stuff and pick up with you when uh, when we get to the end. Excellent. Okay. So hopefully, uh, Commander Del Monte will. Uh, will... I just think he's obviously got some uh, some very important information that he needs to impart, and people are trying to uh, shut him down. I think the Thargoids are probably hacking his uh, his connection to lay radio. So let's um, let's quickly go through what we found out from the LaveCon uh, Q&A with Frontier Development. So uh, new LaveCon skins. Uh, this was exciting for those people that actually were at the event. Uh, a little bit unfortunate for those people that aren't at the event. So last year we had uh, some fantastic designs done by uh, Chart Kruger, uh, which looks very sort of like Hot Rod-esque. It's basically, it's the, it's the Lave Revolution Phoenix uh, the Phoenix on fire, not Phoenix to fire, but the Phoenix on fire um, skin, which we got last year on a number of ships. Uh, this year, they uh, made those skins available for the Eagle, the Third Lance, and most impressive of all, the Anaconda. Um, so if you came to LaveCon and you bought your tickets for LaveCon with an email address that's different to your Elite Dangerous account, then please send us an email at info at laveradio.com just so that we can match the two up. But anybody that went to LaveCon will get their LaveCon skins for the Eagle, the Ferdlands, and the Anaconda. Um, and they are awesome skins. They're absolutely fantastic, especially on the Anaconda. It looks absolutely amazing. So um, other than that, uh, what did uh, what came out of it? So EvDev said that they would support calls for the expansion of the Jack Bubble. Um, ben, do you want to give us a little bit more information on this as you're uh, on your way out there now? 
basically before LaveCon, a lot of people were saying, hey, how about we go and set up a second bubble around about Jack Station, seeing as it's crashed in the middle of nowhere, but a hell of a lot more convenient to the center of the galaxy and things like that than Solis. And there was enough people there and it fitted in well enough with Frontier's plans that they said, okay, yeah, we'll see what we can do about that. Um, I'm personally slightly antsy about all this, but really? we'll see whether... I, I love the idea, but winter is coming. <laughs> winter is coming and you don't think the human race should be split up into uh, into two sections, is that what you're you saying? You don't split the party. We know this. <laughs> Yeah, you might have a you might have a, a point there, but surely you know if you can force an enemy to fight a war on two fronts, then you've got the upper hand. We we will see, but you know we need to get Jacks built and able to defend itself at least in a real hurry. I think. Okay, so you're basically you know to quote Arnie, um, you're basically telling people to uh, to get their ass to Jacks. Yes. Something like that. <laughs> Basically, you're saying that everybody needs to get out to Jackson and try and build it as quickly as possible. So, that, we, you know, we do should need the to worst happen. Yes. Okay, fine. And better in Jackson than in Seoul. Okay, but obviously, Jax is a long way away. And the thing that we also heard from uh, from FDev was the fact that community goals are going to last slightly longer when it comes to, uh, to Jax. So, what's the latest on that? Yeah, thankfully, I don't have a week to get to Jax. I've got a whole month. So, okay, so the and, community goal is going to run for a month then. Yeah, and at the rate I'm going, I might need a month because, yeah, I'm, well, I'm in a, I'm trying to haul, three hundred odd tons of stuff, plus a whole load of petrol, to Jacks, so I am not in an explorer ship with forty fifty light year range, I'm in a trading anaconda, with sixteen <laughs> light years of range. Right. It's going to take a while. Got yeah. Okay, so uh, the other big news that came out, and we've already seen some more information move on this since we got back, was the in-game Commander Journal, which is going to be released in 2.2. Um, so an actual content announcement, in other words, uh, stuff that will link into uh, the various sort of APIs. Frontier said that they've already been approaching some API, third-party API builders and stuff, but... What sort of things is this going to allow us to do? Colin, you're normally on top of these sort of API things. What's so impressive about the Commander's Journal? Well, the Commander's Journal will allow us to be able to um, track exactly where we have been and also export that data out to uh, third parties. So effectively, it does mean that you could have a, a not only a log of exactly what you've done and when, you could also have a log to know exactly who's attacked you and when so you, you can have your your own little personal kill list so you know that you've been attacked by a certain commander on a certain day and you can add them to the uh, calling up the the bounty board at a later point but so also what you're saying one, is this is a way of keeping keeping track of griefers then is it is that what you're saying so all the they, care bears out there are going to have a, a hate list they, they could have uh, but one of the things i'm looking forward to using it for is for exploration because at exploration at the moment, there's no way of knowing what you've got tagged under your name. Now, you could actually, with a whole load of other people, um, uh, crowd, uh, crunch that together, and then you'd have your own list of the galaxy with 
the discovered systems next to the, the commander that has discovered them. And that would be useful for other people to say, ah, oh, I don't want to go to that system because Mr. Smith has already been there. And I, I, I think I, I could go somewhere else. Also, other people okay. can use it for, for tracking um, trade data and all different things like that. Okay, and the other information that we've seen come out of this, because obviously they've launched a, a manual on how people can, well, before they actually launch it, they've given a sort of instruction manual of how the, you know, the journal is going to work. And a few people have been looking through this and have found mm. a, few, <laughs> a few interesting tidbits, which I'm not sure we were supposed to find. I'm not sure if that's an oversight from Frontier, whether or not they were just sort of leaving, leaving breadcrumbs. Before we go into that, though, uh, Grant, what did you have to say? Well, I, I was just going to say, Although with the, the captain's log, I mean, the, the integrations we're getting from the API through the likes of EDDI, which is the voice attack uh, plugin. So I have now got that finally running using the beta version of voice attack. And then I import in whichever voice pack I fancy having the commands from so that I've got all the activity and being able to do your landing gear and all that kind of stuff. As well as when you do your jump, it then tells you that you've been in this system five times since your last visit and things like that and uh, tells you all the breakdowns of it and then you've got a command called um, damage report or ship report and it tells you all the systems that are dodgy and maybe down in lower percentages so I mean this API interface with the likes of these voice interactive programs like voice stack HES and then being able to integrate to whichever particular website you want your data sent to so that you can have it represented to yourself in whether it be some kind of captain's log and you can go through your trails and your adventures and all the missions that you've done or whether it's just something that's plotting a route that you've covered in the galaxy so that you can make your plans it's it's exciting to see and I know that I think if we go back to when we were talking about this pre-elite alpha when uh, and of course we had big surpus uh, Alan Stroud and his no API for anything attitude <laughs> but I think it actually is adding to the gameplay and I think I think he'd be okay with that I think we'll have to ask him the next time he's on yeah definitely I know Alan is quite anti-API and you know it's all about people finding this stuff out for themselves but to be fair, I actually have a lot of fun uh, using some of the third-party stuff to to help uh, my gameplay. Because one of the things that came out from from Lavecon, one of the questions that EverDev got asked quite a lot was, "What about those commanders that are unfortunately quite time poor? Yeah. So, you know, don't have time to uh, spend hours and hours or days and days working through Elite Dangerous. You know, what sort of things can they do? What sort of shortcuts can they take to still sort of experience, you know, the best parts of the game? And I think. You know, certainly these third-party apps and APIs and stuff just allow people to sort of cut through the, the not I don't want to say grind, but cut through some of the minutiae of the game and just get to the really sort of juicy bits for, you know, dip in and dip out gameplay. So if it adds to that, if that makes that sort of gameplay easier, I think it can only possibly be a good thing. Ben? One thing I'm loving, even about the APIs, we currently have it all sellotaped up with and held together in a very dubious fashion is in the jaunt to Jack's discord channel, I can type in exclamation mark locate um, aid of ice and it'll tell me exactly where I am. And then I could go and say, tell me the distance from aid of ice to lave or to Jack's or wherever. And it'll tell me all this information based off of information that the bots in discord have got and they're interfacing directly with 
um, Elite Dangerous star map, which is getting its data automatically really? from ED Elite Dangerous market connector, which is getting its data directly from my network logs. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it all works. Wow, okay, that's impressive. I didn't realize that sort of functionality was already uh, being used by people. So, no, that's, that's impressive it's, just on its, it's own. Held together, it's held, being held together with sticky tape, but it works. Wow, okay. So, no, that is, that's impressive. So, obviously, you know, Elite Dangerous uh, Frontier said they want to uh, support more and more API stuff. Um, so, it should be interesting. If that's what we can do now without any help, that we just sort of hack together, it'll be interesting to see with uh, official support and you know, a little bit more... Uh, instruction from uh, from Frontier, what sort of things are going to be possible. Mm. Interesting stuff. Okay, so anything else on that Commander Journal before we move on to some of the other things that we found out at the, uh, at the panel? Well, we're not going to discuss the, the, the ones that we found, are we? Yes, we are. That's exactly oh, yeah. what we're right. going to do. Yes, exactly. Well, well, well reminded. Um, so when they uh, sent out this wonderful instruction manual to allow uh, programmers to get their heads around exactly what format the um, uh, the commander's log was going to take and what sort of information people are going to pull out of it, uh, there was a few things in that manual that I don't know if it was supposed to be seen or not supposed to be seen, but certainly it gave us a little bit of an insight, if not a, a bit of a roadmap as to what we might expect, um, certainly in the not too distant future, but certainly towards 2.2. So um, in the appendix, features not yet implemented, um, module transfer and storage. Let's talk about that one to start with. So obviously, uh, all the stuff that going on around engineers, it's one of the things that people have always asked for. At the moment, it's quite a messy, there is a messy way of uh, moving modules that you've got from engineers from one ship to another, but it involves sort of going to a certain station, selling your ship, buying another ship of a similar sort of size, transferring it over, by selling your modules, buying them back again, making sure it doesn't time out, otherwise you lose the modules and blah, blah, blah. It's all a bit messy. So... You know, some sort of storage um, ability for your modules uh, is one of the much requested features. And by looking at the appendix, uh, where it says features not yet implemented, module transfer and storage is right up there. So I guess we can take from that, guys, that uh, this is something that Frontier have taken on board and it's something that they're going to be implementing in the not too distant future. Definitely. I mean, there's the, uh, the announcement about uh, 2.105 as well, which is uh, coming out soon. Um, next couple of weeks, they reckon, uh, and that's all a whole load of modifications to the engineers' um, gameplay. And to tell you the truth, um, it just goes to prove that Frontier are listening to the community, and that uh, um, they are taking these things on board when they don't feel it's working. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, one of the things we'll come on to a little bit later when it comes to um, stuff around about LaveCon stuff that that came up. But yeah, certainly they're listening to the community and. You know, the stuff that they agree with, they're changing. Um, that's not to say they agree with everything that's coming out of the community, which is a good thing. Um, other things that were in the appendix, hiring NPC pilots. Now, there's been a bit of confusion on the forums around this. Some people have taken it to mean um, when it comes to multi-crew, you're going to be able to hire NPC pilots. And that's something that Michael Brooks at the LaveCon panel said was definitely not the case when it comes to multi-crew. It's just going to be live human pilots that you have as part of your multi-crew. This, I believe, is sort of referring more to uh, being able to hire NPC pilots to form up as uh, as wings, maybe to do certain missions. Do you guys agree with that? 
Yeah, I mean, and I kind of think that this this was kind of half expected for me because um, the the entire two point two is called Guardians, and what is a guardian but a wingman? Yeah, agreed. Um, and you know, this was another thing that I really, yeah, you know, I really liked about Frontier, um, <laughs> which. <laughs> The whole thing about when you got a certain ship of a certain size, you had to fire, hire and fire crew people. Um, it, there wasn't much to it. There certainly didn't add much to gameplay apart from it sort of it, it increased your um, immersion to uh, to reality. But you never really had um, the hiring of uh, of wingmen, did you? Um, in yeah. in Frontier, so it was something that was lacking. You could hire crew, but you couldn't hire wingmen. Um, and there were certainly a few missions in Frontier where it would have been very, very cool to have uh, a couple of people on either side of you just uh, just basically watching your back. So um, what sort of things do you think they're going to need to implement with this? I mean, are we going to pay for pay less for lower-ranked pilots? Are we going to have to pay more for sort of elite-ranked pilots? Do you reckon they're going to incorporate that? Well, it, it seems pretty logical to have that kind of... Um that kind of uh, uh, credit balance, if you like, uh, for the for the effect. You I mean you don't want to be able to have to um, <laughs> you don't have to be able to buy a, uh, an elite co-pilot for uh, pittance. They're going to cost a lot. I don't think it's actually for hiring wingmen, at least as we've seen wingmen in game. I think it's for hiring play, hiring NPCs who will be flying our shipboard fighters or flying our main ship if we jump into a fighter okay what gives you that idea because that's not my reading of it well i the reason i think that is we know we're going to have shipboard fighters right yes what's going to happen to our anaconda say if we jump into a little uh fed fighter and it's just sitting there you need to be able to hire you need something to fly it absolutely have you ever seen airplane We'll have an inflatable <laughs> autopilot in the shape of David Braben that's going to pop up and take over those controls. That's exactly what's going to happen. And I think that's what these NPC AI is. Um, <laughs> the only thing that makes me think that's possibly not the case is uh, if you think about it, your ship already has a rudimentary AI pilot uh, sort of incorporated in it. So when you're on the planets and stuff and you've got your um, your buggy out there, you know, you can send your ship away and then you can, you know, request it to come back. So it has that sort of functionality. So for me, it's not much more uh, of a step forward to have oh. that, but with some sort of basic, you know, turreting of your guns if you want to. Um, I mean, it would be a bad, um, it would be a bad uh, combat pilot to have um, in, a, in a battle with you. But I think your ship would do some rudimentary fighting for you and then you would obviously take control of the uh, of the fighter. And I would rather be able to hire a wingman to fly my ship for reals. Yeah, absolutely. So you think this hiring of NPC is more like what we had in Frontier so you'd actually be able to hire some crew. Effectively, it's a crew, a crewman to fight my ship whilst I'm in a fighter or to fight my fighters whilst I'm in a in my main ship. I also, I really, really, really want to be able to hire, say, if I'm in a Type 7, please, I'd love to be able to hire some eagles or, or vultures or whatever to f- escort me, but I don't know if that's what this this is getting at. 
Okay, interesting. I mean, certainly uh, what you've just said there is something that Jarvis has been crying out for for, oh, God, <laughs> for yes. months and months and months in terms of, yeah, the, the traders basically not having a um, a, a means of combating, <laughs> yeah, a means of combating pirate, uh, pirates and stuff. Um, if they're sort of decked out in a trade ship, you know, they want to. He thinks that we should be able to sort of balance this out by, you know, the trade ships being able to hire NPC pilots to sort of escort. Uh, escort the cargo ships which i think is a great yeah i do think that would be a great bit to add to gameplay um but yeah okay so interesting so not just uh not just the one theory on the hiring npc pilots uh line in the manual there's a few uh, a few ideas kicking around um are we thinking this is going to be 2.2 or do you think this might be seen sooner oh i, th- I think it's 2.2 mm. yeah okay um, other things that popped up, uh, ship your HUD transfer, again, um, a much requested feature. Uh, <laughs> it says, when written, um, so this is put in, when requesting a ship at another station be transported to this station. So it uh, doesn't say anything about how long that's going to take, or whether it's going to be instantaneous, or whether it's going to take a while. But at least the feature of being able to move one ship from one part of the galaxy to another part of the galaxy without physically having to go drop off one ship, pick up another one, and go back again. Sounds like it's coming into game. Um, Ben, is this a big thing for you? Is it a small thing? Is it inconsequential? If I'm going to be out of jacks and I can get some (laughs) Muppets to fly my vulture there, (laughs) yes, please, God, yes. (laughs) Well, if this is 2.2, that should just about sort of tie up with the amount of time it's going to take you to get to Jax, isn't it? So Sounds by the time you right, land, yeah. <laughs> this feature might just be launching. Um, Colin, big thing for you? Yes, because I'm sick of the Sidewinder taxi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, at the moment, to do Carthage, to get both my ships here in order to do the, uh, both the CGs, I've I've had to, you know, obviously employ the Sidewinder taxi. And it really is a grind just to get this ship back, fly back to wherever your ship was, then come back again. It's, oh, it's, it's such a ball ache. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got lots of ships, or at least I had lots of ships, uh, sat at uh, Shinrata. And obviously now with the Lay Radio Network, most of the missions and stuff I'm running uh, are over in Lave. So I spent pretty much a week going backwards and forwards trying to move my entire fleet from uh, Shinrata over to Lave, and I have to say, that was not the most fun week I've ever spent in Elite Dangerous. No. Okay, let's just have a quick check. Commander Del Monte, are you back with us? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Oh, we can, <laughs> that, that sounds a lot better. Yeah, it sounds you promising. Can hear me okay. oh. Yeah, we can. You had to say that, didn't you guys? Jinxed them. <laughs> Jinxed it. Sugar. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's do it a quick test. So, um, Del Monte, um, ship transfers. So, the ability to move a ship from one part of the galaxy to another part of the galaxy without actually physically having to go and collect it yourself. Uh, good thing, bad thing, you don't care. Um, for me, personally, very good thing. I mean, we've parked all our ships out at Variety, which seemed like a great idea at the time. Um, however, everything keeps happening either in the bubble or out at Maya, mm-hmm. so it would be nice to be able to having to get a blooming hauler. <laughs> right, okay. Well, you started well, and then unfortunately you, you trailed off. So even though you just spent the last 20 minutes moving from one PC to another, I don't think it's made that much of a difference, I'm afraid, uh, Monty. No, it's definitely our connection, then I'm afraid. Um, uh, I will try and stay in the conversation as much as I can, but uh, if it's just that bad, you'll 
to zoot me out. Word of advice, keep it to short sentences. Short sentences. Although I have short to say... sentence, zoot me, if... <laughs> Pretend no. you're Captain Kirk. Yeah. Oh dear, that is just—it's just brilliant. Um, it's also—it's choosing very comical times to try and fade you out as well. Um, the other option, uh, Del Monte, is if you possibly have a decent uh, mobile connection, you could possibly try and download Skype for a phone and uh, and go through the mobile network as opposed to going through your broadband. If you have a decent signal, that might be another thing that you can try. We certainly do try now. Back in time, five. Okay. Give it a go. Back in five. All right. Cheers, mate. Um, Right. Uh, so, again, following on from uh, what we were talking about in terms of the um, the shipyard transfer, the next thing was launching and docking a fighter. Um, someone explained to me what uh, what a Boolean parameter is. Really? Yeah, really. Did you see okay, Boolean? Okay, it's either yes or no. It's a one or a zero. True or false, that's a Boolean. A no. Boolean parameter is something that you pass to a procedure that, that will only accept a one or a zero. And if I've and if I've fluffed that up, then I, I will get the the programming You've gods just You've been fired already down. if you have. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Bullying, bullying's uh, you know famously the true or false. It's the the logical um, basics of all components, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's an echo in here. <laughs> I thought bullying was something to do with soup. I thought bullying is exactly what you're doing to me now. <laughs> But, but is, okay, is, isn't uh, it that situation where you use ones and zeros? <laughs> no, I just did it again. <laughs> isn't it that situation where you use zeros and ones? Ah, I use heads and tails. Okay, so following on from that, there's also the vehicle <laughs> switch uh, entry into the registry as well, which is when written, uh, it's all about when switching control between the main ship and a fighter, which obviously to me suggests that obviously this... This confirms the fact that we will have player-controlled fighters within uh, within our main ships. Everything that's fair. Yeah, pretty much. Very fair. Yeah. Apparently, okay. it was named after George Bull. <laughs> Sorry. Really? Yeah. So God, it says in so shift. I'm not, I'm not. That's that's comments from people that are actually paying attention to what we say. Um, so thanks <laughs> for that in <Inchef. laughs> Okay. <sighs> Uh, so I'm just looking at uh, some of the things that have come up in the uh, the chat channel. Uh, and one of the things that MindWipes are talking about is whether or not it's going to be overpowered. So you know, when it comes to um, having sort of multi-crew and stuff like that, is it going to sort of put the uh, the solo pilots at a disadvantage? Uh, which is a good question, actually. Um, well, they did actually they did actually say that um, the equivalent of a um, of a multi-crew ship was supposed to be the equivalent of a wing. Mm-hmm. So um, those guys, yeah, you are going to be at a disadvantage. The the counter is to be in a wing. Uh, which, again, uh, as long as you can hire NPC wingmen, that's fine. But if the wingmen uh, thing for NPCs is not uh, the wingmen as we know it now, and you still have to have uh, friends in-game, uh, that doesn't help the solo player, does it? No. I mean, that's the solo player, I think, is that yeah, is it a bit of a disadvantage as far as this is concerned? And we do know that you can't hire NCP uh, NPC crew members. So, yeah, I mean that's what a lot of people have been very sympathetic about sarcasm about sort of uh, when the AI hit 
And I said, no, just get in a wing. I, I play at one o'clock in the morning. I doubt if anybody's going to be up when, uh, to, to wing up. So that sort of makes my T9 very difficult to use. Yeah, and yeah, let's be honest. The uh, and it's something that again has been uh, has been mentioned in the dev update. So we'll, we'll come on to it. But uh, the current dynamics, the current system for for sort of your monitoring your friends list and trying to do all of that is not great. Now I know they're sort of hopefully revamping it for the not too distant future. Um, but even if you were on another, the rest of your friends were on at one o'clock in the morning, there's no guarantee that either the instance will match up or the fact that you'll be able to talk to each other to uh to set that up no unfortunately well it's one of these things we'll just have to wait and see on yeah absolutely um okay so let's go back to uh let's go back to our list of stuff that came out of lavecon the other thing um was uh space tourism which again has been in the newsletters for a bit um but michael brooks talked a little bit about how the um how the the system is actually going to work in game so obviously they've been collecting suggestions from uh, the community as to what nice things are what they try again what nice uh, destinations look like within the within the galaxy people have been putting in suggestions black holes uh, really nice sort of planets and stuff like that um so they've gone into the, the sort of the tourism um the tourism sort of register and when you go out there there will be a beacon that you have to scan um, and that will tell everybody that you've been there and you've completed the the, the tourism mission. And uh, there will also be a bit of text or something to give you a little bit of background information about why this particular part of the galaxy um, is so special. So something else that came out was the uh, Tinisla graveyard, which people know their elite cannon is something that's very dear to everybody's hearts. Uh, that will be coming in game at some point. Um, not in 2.2, but uh, at some point, this Tianisla graveyard will be in game, and that will be a sort of um, an example of what a tourist destination would look like. You would go there, you'd see the uh, the various sort of ships and the wrecks and stuff in the background. You'd scan the beacon, and the beacon would give you information about what happened to create such a, a massive uh, space graveyard. Um, okay, so. What do you guys think of the uh, the current implementation? So obviously this is the first sort of passenger missions that we're going to get. Uh, ben, do you think it's uh, a good way of implementing it? I think it's probably a good way of entering it, but I'm trying to get Mark on the call again. Okay. In other words, I've got no idea what you were just on about. Sorry. <laughs> okay, Colin. Yeah, well, um, I, I do think the point was already made. Is it all depends on how the. Um, <laughs> This this text or this uh, this this beacon thing, how how does that give you the information? Is it just going to be a big wall of text that you ignore that you're going to ignore, or is it it going to be a little bit more clever? Yeah, again, yeah, you're right. This is something that we did talk about um, <laughs> in the last episode. For those people that uh, <laughs> uh, haven't listened to it yet, um, so maybe we won't go into too much detail. But yeah, basically, the different ways of uh, of presenting that information. I think we came down to you know, if you were to get some really good sort of voice acted um, um, sort of uh, scripts done to present it either just as an audio or with an audio with some pictures that uh, were presented in your uh, in your head up display as part of the, the ship's uh, user interface, I think would be the, I mean, the absolute ideal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if they can do the voice synthesis and get something Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy like, that'd mm -hmm. be nice. That, right, I think that. 
that would be oh hello <laughs> i think that would be the the um uh, the thing to aim for perfect and we'll try this again commander del monte you back on the call no no <laughs> <laughs> all right i don't know if i'm back on the call or not yes oh, you're back on now can't figure out Aha, I'm trying to figure out the app now for my Android phone. So I've, I've gone through two computers and a phone. Uh, and I'm hoping you can actually hear me. It's either that or the Thargoids are invading and they don't want you me to pass on any information. Uh, well, to be fair, Devontae, you are actually back and you are sounding better than ever. Well, it's a good job we're getting that second bubble uh, then because we've got somewhere to run to when the, the, the Thargoids come and wipe out the first one. <laughs> <laughs> That's my good lady, who you can now also hear because she's close to the mic. I will be. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Okay. Uh, hello to uh, Commander Del Monte's uh, good lady. Um, right. Okay. So um, the karma system, this was something else that was brought up. She's shied um, off now. It... She's run away to the conservatory. <laughs> Brilliant. The karma system, possibly uh, a future implementation for a way of handling hostile player commanders. Uh, you know, the likes of people that will sort of maybe gank newbies. Um, I've written this down, but I have to be honest, I obviously wasn't paying attention during the Q&A when this was discussed. Can someone fill me in on it? I'm afraid I can't. I think I think <laughs> I was called away as well. <laughs> uh, Grant, you were there behind the curtain. Were you paying any attention to this bit? Yeah, karma. It's, it's that thing you get from the Indian restaurant, isn't it, with chicken? Okay, this is going well. <laughs> Ben, save us. You're our only hope. I think Skippy was just showed up at that point and was trying to talk to me. No, I mean, <laughs> the, the whole karma thing was just a way of sort of automatically dealing with and reducing the opportunities for griefing and ganking uh, in a kind of automated system. I don't think they actually went into any great detail regarding it and whether it's going to be shadow instancing or anything along those lines, but... Um, I think they're just basically saying that they are coming up with more ways of keeping an eye on bad behaviour in-game. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, the engineer rebalance that came up, we've talked a little bit about that. Uh, Colin, what exactly is happening before 2.1? What are they changing within engineers? What's uh, What have they responded to the community? Well, they are simplifying the requirements for some of the engineers. Um, a lot of the more difficult, um, the, a lot of the more difficult uh, and rare materials that you need to get the higher level stuff as being uh, reined in. If you if you see what I mean. Uh, and um, oh, sorry about this, but I've just had to deal with a further lance exploding in my face. Uh, but yeah, the. <laughs> I think what they're doing is that they're basically consolidating a lot of the uh, the engineers' grind, so it it makes um, the builds a lot easier. If you see, you know, to actually utilise the engineers a lot easier, so it'll be a, a quicker turnaround. Uh, and when you combine and combine that with um, the the storage modules which will be coming and, and so on, I think that is that's the final missing piece in the uh, engineers' jigsaw. Hopefully, then that will actually allow people to um, to do what they were talking about, which was, you know, open up the idea of having sort of multi roles within Elite Dangerous. So one person yes. could be like the paladin, the other person could be sort of, you know, the uh, the electrical guy. The other person can just push people away. So, you know, a true sort of multi role, um, yeah, sort of type of gameplay. Yeah, that brings back the good old the tank, the healer, and the DPS uh, can can then be implemented into the game. 
So um, I do th- I do think those healing beam lasers do change uh, so much of the game. It's quite it's uh, that's the main game changer, I think. And I think everybody wants to really have that ab- ability available to them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what sort of impact that makes on the uh, on the game going forward, especially considering this um, yeah this discussion about you know does that therefore then impede the uh, the solo player, which you know for a certain expense uh, a certain um, type of gaming it's certainly going to do. So um, more ship kits are definitely coming. Um, everybody laughed at this. Uh, you know, are they going to make more spoilers and more sort of kits available for different um, uh, ship types? Uh, the response was basically asked the marketing people. So, yes, I think this yes. is another nice, easy way that uh, that Frontier can make some money on cosmetic items without uh, pissing off the uh, the user base too much. Uh, and as a user base, I think I think we all like the idea. I think we all like the idea of making the most ugly, yeah, ugly version of the the Cobra Mark III we possibly can, given the tools they're giving us. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think the more the merrier when it comes to these things, and anything that means that Frontier get money without doing anything that uh, really impacts on gameplay, um, and people are happy to do it. I think just happy days all round. Yeah. Okay, definitely. Ben. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I say I say Ben, but Ben's just said move on, so uh, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. Um, Let's have a look. Asteroid bases, uh, and this is one that I uh, I picked up for Frontier because um, <laughs> asteroid bases was something that um, David Braven mentioned way back in the uh, London Game Expo. What was it, two or three years ago now that we went there? Uh, it was the BAFTA with, thing, wasn't it? It was. It was the BAFTA thing when it was uh, uh, John, uh, Jarvis, and Alan and I all went. Um, and interviewed David Braben for the first time. And during his sort of speech uh, at the BAFTA Awards, he talked about this this concept of asteroid bases and how you would go and you put a module down on an asteroid and it would melt the asteroid out and that would be, form the, the start of your, of your base. And it was the first time any of us uh, in the community had actually heard this, this idea. And by the sounds of it, it was the first thing, it was the first time any of the uh, developers back at Cambridge had heard this idea as well. Um, and I was saying to Frontier, how difficult is it to uh, to keep his passion and his enthusiasm and all his sort of ideas for the game uh, in check and sort of on schedule and in line with everything else they're trying to do? So the, the question of asteroid bases came out again. Uh, the answer was not anytime soon. Um, but I think it's safe to say that if David Braben thinks it's a good idea, then we'll see it eventually uh, popping up in the Leak Dangerous at some point, would you say? Uh, definitely, it's one of those. If it comes up with a good idea, uh, then yeah, he'll normally gets implemented. Although I must admit, he did have plans for cloud-based uh, cities in in gas giants for the frontier and frontier first encounters, but they never materialised either. Well, that's true, but uh, it's certainly one of the things. I mean, we've spoken to him about the uh, the whole idea about going into. Uh, gas giants and stuff, and it's still something that seems to be very much on his radar. It's just a question of making sure the uh, the gameplay uh, elements of it are are, are, are right. Um, but yeah, Ben, you were saying that asteroid mining is also on uh, on Michael Brooks' mind. Asteroid mining's on everyone's mind, but I think we've had that in game for a while. On the other hand, asteroid bases. Sorry, mate. Yeah. Are the well one of the main um, locations in Mike Brooks' book? 
is actually an asteroid base that is hollowed out and everything. And it's mentioned, I think, in a couple of the other books as well, if I remember, where they've got, like, secret smugglers' bases and things like that. They're are hidden away in various asteroids. So it is lore, just whether or not we actually get it in-game. Cool. Okay, well, we're taking quite a lot of time on these things, and I actually want to I want to move us on so that we can get to the main topic of um, of this episode, which is not going to be about LaveCon. It's actually more about um, those wonderful people in their tinfoil hats and the stuff that's been going on in game over the last couple of weeks. So let's just whiz down and have a look and see if there's anything else that really sort of jumps out of us that comes from uh, that came from the uh, Frontier Q and A. I should just say that uh, if you want to check out all the Q&A, it is on, uh, on our Twitch stream. You can go and find it there. Or there is a number of, um, there's a number of write-ups uh, done on the forums, uh, one of which started by uh, Cosmo. So if you search for Cosmo and LaveCon on the Frontier forums, you should be able to find it. So um, just having a quick uh, look down. See if there's anything else. Obviously, we were slightly hampered somewhat during all of the Q and A by uh, the fact that uh, Frontier are going to Gamescom uh, mm. in in August. So a lot of their big sort of reveals and stuff uh, are going to be happening at Gamescom, which is it's annoying, but you can see from a marketing point of view why they'd want to do that. So everything around sort of the whole 2.2 release stuff, like the Beluga liner, is it coming out in 2.2? Yeah, we got lots of things like wait and see or Gamescom or find more at Gamescom. Another question that somebody asked, which I thought was a really good question, which is, you know, just the fact that it's all procedurally generated, but we still have exactly the same companies advertising all the uh, space stations. All the space stations have the same yellow trucks uh, and basically all the bases look exactly the same. Um, So the, the answer to that was Gamescom. The answer to a lot of questions seem to be Gamescom. So obviously Gamescom happens, was it end of end of August? Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we will be uh, finding out at Gamescom will be uh, fascinating for 2.2. So without any further ado, I think, unless there's anything going down the list that you guys want to pick out and uh, pick up. No, I, I just wanted one thing to pick out, and that was... Um, I had to feel sorry for Ed because obviously um, when the, the announcement came on and you'll find out all this stuff on at, at Gamescom um, you could tell that he was there going oh what have I really got to work with here everyone is going to be going Gamescom so <laughs> you could see, you could see the frustration in him as soon as that, that first video went up <laughs> and uh, yeah uh, I must admit that the Gamescom thing was certainly a, a bit of a disappointment for I think a lot of people in the room. Yeah, and I think that's possibly because we've just been spoiled the year before, and the fact that Frontier turned up and had so much information to uh, to give us. We, I mean, we saw the Imperial Eagle for the first time. We saw a lot of things that were coming in game, um, and I think yeah, I think they'll probably take that on board. Uh, the disappointment and stuff in the room. Uh, and I'll probably have a look to uh, to probably sort of rectify that probably you know 2017 for the LaveCon and just make sure there are stuff that they can uh, they can get into the uh, the marketing calendar to make sure that they can you know go to the community first. But I'm sure that's probably something that they will look at for next year. Um, just one of the things I do want to pick up on quickly before we move on from this was uh, there was a little bit of controversy around when Frontier should and shouldn't get involved in the background simulation. Now I haven't. 
uh, being party to all the bits and pieces that sort of led to it. But there was uh, one guy who asked a question who was getting quite heated as to what he thought was an injustice around, you know, uh, a number of people have been working in a system to do a certain, uh, certain thing. Uh, the system went into a certain status and then the... <laughs> The actions of only a few gamers doing a targeted type of um, activity within the system managed it to uh, manage it to sort of to flip flop. Uh, and Frontier looked at it and said, "Yeah, okay, so that's a yeah, that's not really um, realistic in terms of the number of people that were able to make that outcome." Uh, and they and they did something about it in a nutshell, badly explained. But uh, the whole thing about whether or not Frontier should have godlike powers and get involved in the background simulation or not. Uh, seem to be proving uh, quite uh, quite testy, um, and the only bit that I sort of took out of this and reading behind it on the forums was that it is very difficult to understand what the heck's going on with the background simulation. Now I know some of that is by design, and I know yeah, Frontier do that to uh, yeah to keep an element of control, um, but it made me think about what happened to us with the Lave Radio Network Civil War. That was going on where we tried to get everybody into the system for our live broadcast and then just as we went live the system flipped uh into a, a into a ceasefire basically and we didn't know it was going to happen we hadn't expected it um and it's just quite difficult to predict what the heck's going on with the background simulation and one of the things that came up from the forum was you know would it add or would it detract to be able to go into a system and when you're in a station see exactly with some sort of bar charts and stuff what's going on in real time within that system you know is crime up is crime down <laughs> how much have we had with bounty hunters you know how much have we had with this and just have sort of like just a simple bar chart so you can see exactly what's going on within that system uh in real time so you can judge exactly what your activities or even more importantly the activities of another faction are doing so it gives you the opportunity to to sort of counteract it um let's have a look uh who's got a, who's got an opinion on this ben sorry grant well i was just gonna sort of raise the point that the reason why our civil war collapsed was because we ignored the person that was shouting us the week before that we were in a state of war and we missed it essentially that was the problem so rather than anything weird happening we were just way too late to the party if we'd started at the weekend or the previous week's broadcast at the end of that then the war kicked off we could have had more of an impact on it that was the the biggest issue there so that was one of the circumstances that's quite common where we misunderstand what's going on and we miss the start of something <clears throat> rather than you get a bizarre reaction. Uh, I know that as a Hutton Truckers, we had a hell of a time cracking George Pantazzi's system because they were a multi-system faction. And no sooner had you done all the work to prep to take over or to kick off a war than the sods would get involved in a lockdown in another system that killed our status and stopped us. So we then had to try and keep it at that level and then they went into a war somewhere else. Then they went into another civil war somewhere else. And it kept going like that and it was really frustrating and difficult to make sense of at that stage. So it is meant to be complicated but there should be some kind of rhyme and reason to it and hopefully through more balancing and stuff will get there but would you say that's a you know that's something that could be helped in by giving a little bit more transparency of the background simulation by having like these bar charts or something visual to represent what's going on in that system at any particular time 
Um, anything that makes the, the information more accessible and maybe a bit more understandable is good. I think too much information retracts the ability of Frontier to go, no, you chuff and well don't, and get in and manually handle it. And they have to be able to manually handle stuff without people shouting foul. It's as simple as that. It is their game. And if we think we can flip, you know, the uh, Shinrata Desra to an anarchy system and kick the Black Wheel to infinitum... Um, we shouldn't be able to do that, so they should be able to do it. I think they should do it more in key systems. I think there should be more um, large-scale battles coming in, you know, the kind of thing where you are pissing about in the Federation important worlds, and regardless of the player factions involved, in comes a large NPC force, including multiple massive carriers, and they just kick your ass. You know, there should be things that slant it and make it impossible to do these things, but it should happen in-game, so it should be a case of huge massive war and really, really strong forces that you just cannot beat, even as an organised player group, so that you have that, we tried, we failed, and we had our shot, but we missed it, rather than Frontier turned it off. You know, it should have yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So it should be happening in game as opposed to Frontier just basically flicking a switch. So if they want to restore control in that particular system and they can see it's actually flipping because the background simulation has been affected by the players, uh, they can literally just say, okay, we've got a <laughs> a, a one-off um, task force that's going out there with lots of capital ships and it arrives in the system and the system flips back to normal, uh, but it happens in game. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so yeah, use the tools that, that make it look like the players are getting the chance to do something, but actually you haven't got a hope in hell. Yeah, because, yeah, okay, that's fine. So that, that I agree with. Um, Commander Del Monte, what's your view on all this? Yeah, I think the key thing is, assuming you can hear me, just checking. Yeah, go, go, go. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think the key thing here is that, yeah, we don't want to be slip, uh, flipping systems like Founders World and places that are almost a fixed asset within the game. Mm -hmm. The problem with this one was people used a valid tactic to shut down the opposition. And they didn't counter that opposition as they could have done. The Federation could have fought back. The Federation pilots could have gone out and collected bounties, etc., to flip the system back under their control. Um, the Imperial attack was very cleverly done. Is he back on Wi-Fi again? You know, Tommy, you've lost me again, aren't you? Yeah, yep. we are. <laughs> I have no idea. I've actually turned my Wi-Fi off altogether. I'm on my mobile phone now. Yeah, it's still doing exactly the same thing. Well, no, That's it's, so weird. It's, it's a little bit better, but yeah, it just broke up a little bit, sort of, at key points. Yeah. <laughs> the bit where you're making something, you know, the bit that well, makes you sound intelligent, and that's missing. Um, the bit, yeah. <laughs> Bizarre. Um, yeah, no <laughs> idea then, because I'm on a completely different network, on a completely different system now. Um, so I've no idea. Obviously, I am being tinfoiled. <laughs> I think you might be. Um, okay, so yeah, the issue was that um, Frontier basically flicked to switch there, as opposed to just let the background simulation and the tactic that people were using, which was completely valid, uh, go to fruition. Is that what you're saying? It might be what you're saying. We will never know. Um, Colin, what's your point? Well, my point was that yeah, basically. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> My point was, didn't they say that uh, actually it was a bug? Because the number of commanders that did uh, do this tactic shouldn't have been enough to shut the station down. And that's why they intervened. 
Uh, yeah, they certainly said it was uh, it wasn't the right balance. So whether or not it was a bug or it was something that they just realised uh, they hadn't. Um, yeah, they hadn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that you know, such a short such a short number, such a small number of uh, commanders could actually have such a large influence by doing that particular activity. Uh, needed balancing, and they just literally went in there and they balanced it straight away. Um, but apart from that, they said that they're pretty much hands off when it comes to the background simulation, and they want to be hands off when it comes to background simulation. Um, which again, you know, it throws you in into sort of two different uh, two different lines. I mean, do we want them to be completely hands off so that we have a an Eve Online style of gaming, or do we actually want them to be able to, you know, dip in and dip out and uh, and control the narrative of the galaxy uh, in a way that they, they some, think it should go? They need some level of God mode, of course, but. They've got to be careful that they don't upset CGs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in this case, you think that it actually had a, a detrimental impact on the uh, on the CG that people were doing? I think it was more of a detrimental impact on people's perception of how the game worked. Um, yes, the balance was off, but I think it upset quite a lot of people that it was so easily God-moded. Yeah. Okay, I certainly think they took that uh, that um, uh, feedback from the community on board uh, during the panel. So we'll watch this space and see uh, see what happens in the future and see if we have another repeat performance of uh, of this. Um, okay, I'm going to draw a line under that. I'm going to draw a line under the stuff that was uh, discussed at LaveCon because I want to crash on. And whilst we still have uh, Commander Del Monte on the phone and the Thargoids haven't managed to cut them off completely, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that's been happening with the uh, with the unknown artifacts and the unknown probes that are going on. So before that, we'll quickly jump to an advert, and then when we come back, it's all about the unknown. Hey, buddy, why the long face? Exploring is boring. What? What makes you say so? Because I have to scoop for fuel at every single store. And then the voices I hear in the store tell me to... Whoa, sounds like you've got a case of space madness. What you really need is really big gas tank. What? With really big gas tank, you'll be sailing the Milky Way in style and comfort. No more hanging out at every stupid store just to refuel. It's as easy as honk and go. Gotta get to Beagle Point for a romantic interlude? Just honk and go. Wanna be the buckiest ball in the galaxy? Just honk and go. And if you fill your really big gas tank with patented Jumbonium 5000, you can honk and go, go, go. Gee, thanks, mister. No, thank you. Really big gas tank. Because why wait when you can hung and go? Japanese 5000 has been known to cause extra arm growth, outdoor mayonnaise, typism, and spontaneous target face. He's only a direct. Lave Radio. Transmitting to every corner of the galaxy. Wait, right. Well, we're, we're, I think we maybe just carry on and... and uh, have a look at the notes and see what's coming up next. Where we, where we could be, you know, I think it sounds is, like the connection issues are getting to everybody. I'm not quite sure it's a connection issue for Fozza, but <laughs> I think he has definitely been interdicted on his way back to us. So we were skipping all the rest of the updates and things and going for our main section, wasn't it? Oh, yes. 
Right. Scroll, 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 scroll. UA <laughs> probe sounds. That's what we're here for, is to see what on earth is going on with UA probe sounds. Now, I <laughs> I guess it's going to be interesting because this is going to be a show that possibly you'll need to decipher, depending on how well our next section <laughs> goes um, and whether or not we can get all these sentences out in a way that's done. But if you have to decipher it, I suppose there'll be prizes for a person who can make sense of this next section. <laughs> Back to you, Or, Fuzz. of course, they could just... I was going to say, or they could just run it through uh, an audio spectrograph and uh, try and get the show notes out of that, I should probably imagine. I actually have to tell you something now. This this is something I've not seen yet, so I apologise if I'm just opening up you all to a world of painful vision. My brother has used a particular website which allows you to encode um, JPEGs as sound files uh, and the reverse. I don't know what he did. I've not looked at it. I have not listened to it. I have grave concerns, and I think Frontier have definitely done it the right way. But it does it does mean to, it does no, it does say that the, the technology is out there. And it should have been really really straightforward for us to be able to sort of decipher it to that extent to at least get the image which is where we are now but uh, as for what the hell it means i don't know <laughs> okay well let's just uh, backtrack a little bit uh, as soon as we have got a, uh, a special ringer on the show um hopefully we can uh, we can make out what commander del monte is trying to say so um del monte why don't you just give us a little bit of background as to the canon faction in game what it is that you go crazy dudes get up to with your tinfoil hats and uh, why the rest of us are so grateful that you're there to save us the, having to do the the hassle of all the deciphering that you guys get up to <laughs> uh, well i can i can give you a bit of background certainly i mean it's been on the go for a long time now the canon group um when the first uas were were spotted and we were looking for them in convoys and then looking for them in the wild. And that's the unknown artifact rather than the current unknown probe. Um, but I mean, one of the key things about the Canon group is it, it's an open group. You know, we're not there to direct or tell people what to do. It's more of a case of trying to create a collective approach to solving these puzzles that we're being presented with. Okay. And so you mentioned there the, um, the UAs, which I think most people are, yeah, quite, yeah, quite au fait with by now. But the UPs, which obviously doesn't stand for underpants, but the UPs, they seem to be reasonably new. What's the uh, what's the difference between the two? One of the primary differences for now is certainly the way they react. We never ever got the uh, unknown artifact to react in any significant way. Um, it was changed as the versions of the game was changing, and we found the embedded Morse code, which initially gave you the system name. Yeah, uh, and then that changed, and it gave you the drawing of the ship, which was one hell of a puzzle to work out. The the chap that worked that out with a piece of paper and a pen, uh, hats off to him. You know, we were all <laughs> driving, a, we were all driving ourselves insane, and he figured it out with a piece of paper and a pencil. Um, <laughs> but we do know from the very beginning that Michael Brooks said that this puzzle, he, they they designed it in such a way they know we can use these audio tools. They know we can analyze these signals, and they did it deliberately. And we knew we'd have to use external tools to solve the problem. And, of course, now we have this fantastic graphic, um, thanks to Rizal for bothering to ping the probe yet again with a discovery scanner, uh, uploading the information, and then somebody very quickly decoded the image in the background. But of course, we've no idea what the image means. There's lots of theories. Uh, there's lots of ideas. 
um, but everybody's working really hard to try and figure out the puzzle. Okay, so again, let's let's take a step backwards. So, tell us a little bit about what actually happened. So, the uh, unknown probe, what is found floating in space? Someone found it, then detonated it, then then haunted it. What happened? What was the process? Of, what was the yeah the process of events? Well, the probe was first spotted. Um, he scanned a Python uh, and found that it had a different unknown probe inside, and then went after it. Basically, um, they're not found in free floating space. They're only found within um, these convoys at the moment. Now, we've been told they're in floating space, but nobody's found one. Um, and until we do, it's being very difficult to carry out any testing. In fact, I, I think, and I'm not 100% competent on this, I think we don't actually have a probe in-game right now. They've all been lost, either destroyed or due to bugs, particularly the scooping bug. Okay, what, what's the scooping bug? Because that's new to me as well. Um... Basically, it disappears. Sometimes when it scoops, it just disappears. It's there in front of you one moment, and the next minute it's gone from your cargo hold. And Frontier confirmed that this is actually a bug as opposed to some strange alien teleportation technology. Well, a few people have been given their uh, unknown probes back um, after we've shown video evidence, so we can only assume it's a bug, but... Frontier being Frontier, they're a little bit cagey on the exact mechanics that's happening in the background. Right, okay. So you've come across this unknown probe. It's floating in space or you've collected it and then jettisoned it. Uh, you've honked at it. Then what happens to uh, then What's the next um, set of events? Well, the interesting thing is, of course, after the honk, um, it seems to emit an energy pulse. The energy pulse knocks out your ship. Now, we think this is deliberate, and this is where it allows you to record a very clean set of audio. Um, because all your ship systems are shut down for a brief moment of ah, time, you can very much hear it. That's so very clever. I think that's a that's, deliberate act. Yes, that's a very yes. clever piece of game design they've done there. So it shuts out all your, your cockpit noise and your ship noise just so that you can get a clear recording of what the probe's actually telling you. That's a very clever piece of you know, uh, design that uh, you would normally, you wouldn't even contemplate that's why they've done it. But I think now you've pointed it out, that's probably exactly why they've done it. This puzzle certainly stepped the game up from the UA being a very non-interactive component. We got a few things from it, a bit of Morse code, a bit of pointing towards Merope. This unknown probe does an awful lot more and we still haven't solved it all yet. Okay, so it, uh, it gives you this sort of EMP, it knocks your ship out, uh, it gives you this sort of clear sound file that you put through, was it a, a spectrograph uh, filter on Audacity or some sound, yeah, sound program? Audacity is one of the programs people have been using. Uh, basically running the, the sound through there, you can see a spectrograph of the sound. You're seeing the sound as a physical image. And in that image, you can see something's being drawn. And just like um, we were saying a moment ago, it's effectively embedding a JPEG within an audio track. Right, okay. So we've got a picture. <laughs> it's going to be a bit like the the old Krypton factor here. Can you, uh, Commander Del Monte, can you describe what that picture is overall and then the, the various elements people have think this is, uh, this is broken down into? Uh, I can when I open a copy of the picture myself because I'm now on my phone and can't see anything you're doing. <laughs> Two seconds. I mean, we've got the central part of the picture, which a lot of people seem to think looks like a hood or a heads-up display. Um, and, and possibly it is. 
Um, again, though, it could be um, a planetary overlay. Um, so people are, are thinking, is it a set of coordinates on a specific planet? The probe specifically points to Merope 5C. And if that's the case, and it's pointing at the planet and saying, look here, look at these coordinates. But as you can see around the center of this image, which is a, um, a circle with a lot of grid lines on, in the top left corner, in the top right corner, bottom left and bottom right, we have what we believe is a form of code, uh, which hopefully will decipher into coordinates. But there's a lot of other noise in the image as well. Um, this is why we need more probes, so we can carry out more testing, uh, check with different ships, check in different areas of space. And does any of this image change, or is it constant? Um, the current belief is it's constant. Um, mm -hmm. And if it is, then we've got to work out what they all mean. So what's the uh, what's the current theory? I mean, I'm looking here. We've got reference symbols, grid patterns, um, yes, various sequences. I mean, how would you go about trying to... I mean, I must admit, first and foremost, I can't stand patterns. I can't stand decoding things. I can't stand these sort of puzzles. So I'm looking at this, and already my brain is switching off. How do you go about... Uh, trying to figure out how to make this into something that we can get some reliable data out of. Well, that's that's the great thing about the Canon. You know, we literally crowdsource this type of problem. So many people get involved at a really high level, some really very clever people as well, and they, they just jump all over it and pull it apart. We take a, a very shotgun approach to science. You know, we scatter it all over, and we see which bits hit, which bits can be tested, which bits seem to make sense, and then that forms the next theory. Okay, I mean, you talk about a scattergun approach and spreading things wide. I saw this as a story on the BBC website just yesterday. Um, so <laughs> if it's managed to get, managed to stretch out that far, uh, you know the uh, the story's gone wide. So um, What's the what's the latest theory? What's the sort of the up to date? What's the the hot line of inquiry at the moment? Well, Microbooks was giving us some hints on the forum today. Actually, um, he was saying that we were along the right lines with testable theories. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to catch up on all of that myself. But <laughs> the, the 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 idea is that the probe will give us direction to find something. And there is a general belief that our time is limited. You know, if we don't find it before 2.2, it will find us. Right. Okay. Interesting. So obviously we're talking about, we know 2.2, we're hoping there's going to be some sort of um, alien um, reveal, hopefully for 2.2, uh, which brings us on to the next part of this, this main topic of discussion, which is how people in game are going to approach this, uh, this concept of uh, first contact uh, now, I know that the Canon has a particular uh, belief, but there's been a, a new group that's popped up uh, over the last couple of weeks called the uh, the Myrmidons. Um, and these are a group that very much want to try and protect the, um, the aliens on first contact and try and make sure that history does not um, put down that the humans on first contact were the ones that uh, that basically fired first and yeah the Mimidons are going to be there to uh, protect the aliens against other human factions that might want to shoot them um 
even in the case of you know the aliens showing outright uh, hostile actions um, the Myrmidons are still going to try and defend them against other human responses just to make sure that history shows that we tried to do everything we possibly could to set up an accord with the aliens as opposed to the normal sort of Hollywood you know we see aliens and we open fire now what's canon's response to this because you'd imagine that sounds like you know protecting aliens that sounds like the sort of scientisty sort of thing that you might want to do that sounds like something that would be down uh canon streets do you agree or or not agree with what the myrmidons are trying to do i mean the myrmidons have got a great concept in, in terms of role play um you know it's it's a very honorable idea to protect the aliens and and try and make them safe i mean we did ask this question at lavecon about um, having a gun port closed type attitude towards any alien encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is once they start firing and once they start dropping potentially materials that maybe work with engineers that we haven't met yet, how long will this accord last? How long before their faction itself may potentially tear itself apart? The biggest problem we we have an issue with is the threat to... Um, canon scientists trying to solve these mysteries coming under attack. This happened a lot when the barnacles were first discovered. And we had SDC sat out over barnacle sites attacking people for no real reason. We ourselves got attacked. We, we lost a Corvette um, to a known um, griefer, shall we call him, who attacked us. And he didn't role play. He didn't give us a chance to talk. He didn't ask us what we were doing. We were simply blown up. And if the Mirror Doms are going to take that kind of approach, then all they're going to do is continue to force people away from open and into private groups. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, I was just looking at uh, some of the counter-argument that uh, the Canon was throwing up there. So the logic of no defense being stronger, being a stronger defense, and um, some of the other stuff that you were you were saying. So obviously, you know, number one, it wastes resources, draws attention to a particular spot and uh, encourages people to come and fight the Myrmidons. It basically encourages hostile activity in the area. Um, and as you say, it might force people into private or solo to try and bypass any of the, the action they don't want to uh, to get involved with. So uh, am I right in saying that the, the canon approach is, uh, you know, find it first, find it quietly. Uh, and exactly. that's the way that you can protect alien life, yeah? Exactly. I mean, the idea is that we, we find it and we're, we're very good at sharing our knowledge. We keep sure it gets posted on all the threads and we post it on our Discord channels, etc. And it's a case of seeing what they do. Um, I mean, by no means canon aren't the aggressors. Our idea is science. Our idea is to solve these puzzles, see what's going to happen next. I mean, there's a long plan for this. Potentially, we've got to come up with a solution to stop an alien invasion. And a lot of people talk about Thargoids. We don't even know if it's Thargoids that are going to be the per- first people to turn up. I mean, we do have these splinter factions with the Marmadons and Lab 69. I mean, Lab 69 is something that's been inside of canon for quite a long time. And we we kind of recognize it, but it's almost like the Black Ops, if you like. <laughs> um, but they, they play a they play a very discreet role. You know, um, it's not open. It's not aggressive. It's not threatening. Um, but they play this um, role of let's find the Thargoid, shoot first, end this quickly. And of course, neither neither of those two are going to result. There's no way we're going to be able to have a, a completely peaceful interaction 
Uh, I mean, that, that just wouldn't make for good gameplay. And I very much doubt we're going to be able to beat them on the first day. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's say, uh, Del Monte, that you, know, you are the commander that finds uh, the aliens, whoever they may be. You are the one that makes first contact. How would you deal with the situation? What would you do? Obviously, gun ports close, but would you... Would you honk at them? Would you flash your lights in a, you know, close encounters of the third kind, styley? What would you? Uh, all, would you... All, all of the above. I mean, yeah, you, I, I certainly wouldn't fire first because I've, <laughs> I've no doubt they're going to have significant firepower or some form of defence that, to start with, we will not be able to overcome. Um, so yeah, it's try to make a peaceful contact with some form of intelligence. Um, uh, definitely a honk, definitely a flashy lights, uh, definitely a cargo scan, and I would imagine by that point I'll be running pretty quickly in the opposite direction. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Um, and do you think that we are able to? Uh, I mean, what sort of um, hope do you hold out that we'll be able to uh, to crack the code and get there before you know Frontier force it upon us in two point two? Um, I honestly don't know. I mean, I've been looking at a lot of things myself in the last few days, all sorts of different codes and hieroglyphs, uh, everything from Braille um, through to Vorlon. Um, all of these things are out there. Um, you know, you're looking for things that aren't copyright protected, preferably, because that's what they would have to use. I do think they've come up with their own form of code, and they've created something that you know, you're only going to be able to crack by cracking the key. Um, mm -hmm. Almost, almost, we have to work from the outside in on this puzzle and find what the cipher is. The cipher will break the key. The key will then show us what we need to do next. Okay, so you think this is something in-house that uh, the Frontier have developed? I mean, do we know anybody within Frontier that has a sort of, uh, I want to say, cartographic, but that's maps, but cryptographic? What, someone that can that can work codes that can create a new sort of uh, style and language. Um, is that something that Frontier have on their books? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, you ask any programmer that codes in C++ or BASIC or Visual or Pascal or any of the old codes or new codes that are out there, um, all of this stuff could easily have been coded. Mm, interesting. Uh, Colin, anything you want to pick up on? Yeah, there was one point that... Um... Uh, Michael Brooks mentioned when we asked him about the the ports closed approach that people were wanting to take, and that was he says he said that well you've got to get there before a superpower, mm. which um, made me think very much of I mean all this is very Babylon Five influence I think everybody will will agree about especially with the gun ports closed and all that kind gun ports open that kind of thing, but. It did strike me that um, <laughs> it might get to a point where um, when an avalanche starts, the pebbles is a bit late to, for them to vote, if you see what I mean. Exactly. The oh, avalanche yeah, has already so. started. It is too late for the pebbles to vote. Get your quotes I right. knew Ben would be able to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for those of us that maybe haven't watched maybe as much Babylon 5 as you have, what was the uh, the context of that? Well, the context was that, um, first of all, the first encounter between one of the most powerful alien races that mankind ever come, come across uh, was an absolute disaster. They, they misinterpreted the fact that their gun ports were open as a, a hostile act and shot at them uh, without, any, without any talking. They and didn't then, misrepresent. They blind panicked. Well, you know what I mean. 
uh, and and basically that led to a a jihad type war from the from the Mimbari, which were the alien race, which almost led to our genocide. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So this is yes. Uh... So like I said, make sure that that second bubble is up and running. We'll have to do a Battlestar Galactica over to there before you know it. <laughs> I think we can get a few more sci-fi references in before we wrap this up. Damn right, I'm I'm up to three. I'm trying to work it in the Star Trek one, but I haven't managed to do it yet. <laughs> Just keep boldly moving forward, Colin. Oh no, that was too oh. that was too bad. That would that was no no Ben, <laughs> points off. <laughs> right, okay. No Klingons on you. No, let's just move God. on quickly, Quick. very, very quickly. Um, and I think that's probably um, going to talk. We were going to talk a little bit about some uh, some weirdness that was happening in Marope uh, in terms of people going on planets and uh, finding all their uh, shields and, and ship being destroyed slowly but surely. Uh, but we just found out today that that's probably a bug. So it's not actually a story a bug. at all. Yeah, we do. We do think that's been a bug from the beginning. We raised that with FDev and uh, Brooks confirmed that it's probably not intended <laughs> right okay um okay is there anything uh, anything left on the tinfoil hat stuff that uh, people want to cover off before we we close that and just do uh, a quick community shout out before we close off the episode colin oh no it, w- it was actually um to do with ed's stream i wanted to touch on um ed's um code stream that happened today uh, well, well earlier in the week um, it was but- thursday wasn't it that was Thursday, Thursday, yeah. Um, I just wanted to, to touch on that and mention that I think we should talk about that next week. I know that people in the chat room have been asking about it, so I just thought we'd mention that it's something that we probably want to discuss at a later point. Yeah, okay, we can certainly cover that off uh, off on uh, on next week's show. That's not a problem at all. Uh, ben, anything else? Or Grant, anything else you want to cover off? No, not that I can think of. Not oh, well, apart from just, you know, um, that the Lave Con I was presented with a wonderful sort of pile of gifts from Crikey. Too many people to thank, but, you know, I want to thank everybody for the, the amazing gifts in Frontier, of course, who, who allowed me to name another planet um, for the mere things that I do. Just so some kind of glorification thing, you know, about how awesome <laughs> I am and stuff, but uh, it's hard being this awesome. And, you know, we appreciate your awesomeness. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it was really nice. And I, I don't want it to under underplay it at all. It was very appreciated. And, in fact, I am now fastly trying to work out how to frame this signed artwork and get it up in the office. Because if you see my office, I have nothing on the walls. So it means a lot when I actually put something on the wall. Uh, it's the same with tattoos. I have no tattoos because there's nothing that means that much to me. So I really appreciate it. So thanks to everybody that was involved. I'm not even going to go out and name people in particular because there's just too many people involved. But thank you very much for that. That's fine, mate. And, you know, I know that, you know, we all mean a great deal to you. So I think possibly that tattoo, uh, maybe the official picture from this year's LaveCon with all sort of 300 of us out on the, on the grass. If we could just get that tattooed across your back... I could, think could that do would the, probably be... <laughs> it, will, it will fit. <laughs> well, oh, dear. certainly tattooed on his ego, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, speaking about things that maybe we want to get tattooed, uh, certainly there's one thing that's tattooed on... Uh, oh, sorry, let's... Uh, Commander Del Monte, last, last point from you. Uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you for having us in the Orange Sidewinder. 
And if you find yourself over at Lab 69, they have a rather good recipe for Thargoid stew. Ah, smashing stuff. Well, just before we, we will sign off, we'll need to find out exactly how people can get in touch with you personally and also how people can get in touch and help out with Canon. But before we do that... Let's do a quick shout out for something else that dropped this week, and that was the Uncle Art album, A Temporal Shift, which is now available for all those people on Kickstarter that did back the project. So this is the revised um, Frontier theme, so brought up to date, done with a full orchestra behind it, uh, which we did play at LaveCon. Unfortunately, we had to mute the uh, the stream, so only the people at LaveCon have actually heard it yet. But now it's gone out to backers, and the rest of the album is complete and available to download. Uh, I should imagine it's going to hit normal uh, normal outlets in the next couple of weeks or so. So people, if you haven't backed it on Kickstarter, you should be able to get it soon. And what's everybody's opinion of it? Is this something that people need to go out and buy? Grant. Right. Okay, you come to me, and I'm not like you guys who are extremely nostalgic about your old games and the old game sounds. I, frankly, couldn't care less. However... The frontier theme with full orchestra is something special, uh, and that, that I can 100%. I've always kind of been like my classical music and stuff, and this is beautifully made. Uh, I do find myself being drawn more to the second theme from Frontier, which I seem to, I don't know, it's just edging it a bit, but both of them are stunning, um, and the rest of the album, I, uh, it's okay. I just don't see me ever sort of sitting down to listen to it, but that's me and my reaction to those kind of nostalgia musics. It's kind of, you know, the quiz, that's the kind of thing that I go, oh yeah, I remember that, and that gives me that little buzz, but I wouldn't ever sit down to sort of listen to these themes. So um, I backed it with a passion for the reorchestration of the Frontier themes, and it was worth every penny I put into it. It is an amazing special thing. So if you are into your nostalgia and your old themes, then this is a must-have album. And if you're not, it's still a must-have album for those two Frontier <laughs> tracks. And that's about the biggest shout-out I can give for it. Okay, Colin, rescue us from this. I maybe should have come to you first. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I had to take a comfort break. What was the question? <laughs> Have you, uh, were you a backer of the uh, Uncle Art album? Have you downloaded it? Have you listened to it? I was not a backer. Okay, that's fine. This is going really well. I'm ben, sorry. I know for a fact that you were a backer and you've listened to it. Do I've some squeeing. Listened to, I've listened to the Frontier theme for a, basically on repeat for about the first two hours of work today, back to back to back. <laughs> um,. I was also listening to the whole album about twice last night, and there there is something magical about flying through the depths of space with that orchestral theme going. Uh, but the only thing is, it kind of made me want to reenact the the introduction scene, and I wanted to jump into a courier and things like that just so I could land on a planet and chase off some eagles. Yeah, I think that will definitely be uh, one that we'll see in the not too distant future. Now that it's actually out there, I'm sure there's people. I mean, we've got some really talented uh, video creation people within the community. I'm sure there's already people hard at work trying to recreate the um, uh, recreate the intro from Frontier and with the new orchestral sound behind it. And they're going to have to struggle because the new piece is is four minutes long, which is slightly longer than the original intro, say the least. Um, but I'm like you guys. Uh, I've listened to it. Uh, I do love it. 
Um, I get like Grant. I'm sort of steering towards the Frontier theme too, uh, more than the original intro theme. And again, for me, it's just because it's. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's amazing. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but it's just for my sensibilities, just moved slightly too far away from what the original was. Uh, I know it's a reimagining and stuff, but um, it didn't give me the nostalgia kick that I was kind of hoping it was going to do. It's an amazing piece of music. Um, but I was expecting it to be slightly closer to the original theme. Um, but again, that's just personal preference. It's still very much an amazing piece of work. But the, the Frontier 2 theme, uh, the Frontier Theme 2, that's what it's called, Track 5, Frontier Theme 2, uh, that sends goose, goosebumps down my spine. It's uh, it's a fantastic piece of music. Um, and exactly what that particular tune sounded like in my head even when it was coming out of Amiga speakers. Um, so that, to me, is fantastic. The rest of the stuff, I've never played Star Glider, but uh, I'm enjoying, I'm someone that really enjoys computer uh, game music anyway, uh, and these are all new tracks for me, apart from Beneath the Steel Sky, which Beneath the Steel Sky is another great tune, but uh, the rest I'm sort of finding for the first time. So uh, very much enjoying it. It's money well spent, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the, the film that they're now producing that goes along uh, with the story and the uh, whole uh, album creation piece around that. So, cool. Um, Commander Del Monte, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm afraid I haven't actually heard it. Um, The only sound I have in my head are are two things. One is a a song that Kip Shard did, which involves the UA, uh, the sound of the UA. And that's about the only thing I ever hear, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, that's fine. As a representation, for, uh, representative from, uh, from Canon, that's all we really want you to be focusing on at the moment. Yes, uh, the, the sound is everything. The sound in this game is frankly amazing. And unfortunately, I, I missed the, the big reveal. Uh, but I'm sure it was very good. I heard a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, I mean, playing the... Uh, and we didn't have the final version. We had, the, like, the 95% uh, complete version, and we played it on the, uh, the loudspeakers during the, the Lay Radio Live session. Um, and it was quite funny. I mean, the room was quite full anyway uh, for people listening to the podcast. Um, but there was a few other people in various different rooms around the hotel. And as soon as this tune came out, it was almost like the... It was like the Pipe Piper of Hamlin. You know, all these uh, frontier players um, came wandering in. It's like, ooh... What's this? This is a theme I recognise, and literally we just we just filled the room with people just standing there listening uh, to this amazing piece of music that took everybody back to their childhoods. It was it was phenomenal for that. It really was brilliant. Um, okay, well that's going to be it for this particular show, Commander Del Monte. Where can people find out more about Canon, and where can they follow your antics on the internet? Okay, well we're uh, all over the, the Frontier forums, so if you search for Canon on the Frontier forum. And we're a big part of the huge thread that is now up to its eighth incarnation wow. and moving quickly. Um, Rizal does a great <laughs> job of keeping all the information on the front page. We also have Canon Science, uh, so canon.science. Uh, if you search for that one, that's our main website where we keep a lot of information. And once you're signed up and somebody's logged you in, then uh, you'll get access to our Discord server. Brilliant stuff. And is your Discord server set up as brilliantly as the one that Ben was talking about earlier, where it tells you exactly where you are in-game? No, we haven't quite got that advanced. We've activated the the Arc Cannon bot in the last few days, and so far it can say hello. 
Uh, but poor old Art Cannon needs a little bit more programming. <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant. Okay, well, that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email info at laveradio.com, Facebook forward slash Lave Radio, at Lave Radio on Twitter, or you can join our Discord channel, which isn't very technically advanced, by going to tinyurl.com forward slash Lave Radio. Our TeamSpeak servers are laveradio.teamspeak.com. And Lave Radio is recorded live on a Tuesday evening at 8.30 p.m. UK time and streamed out at laveradio.com forward slash live. A big thank you to our ringer this episode, Commander Del Monte from Canon. Thanks for all those commanders that have joined us live and listening inside the game and on our IRC channel. Until next time, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Two seconds, I'll be right back.